0: And welcome to Louisiana Considered on a Thanksgiving Day Eve Wednesday, I'm Adam Voss. Uh, Just ahead, we'll talk about the challenges Louisianans who call the 988 Suicide and Crisis Hotline are facing months after the hotline's three-digit number went live here in Louisiana. We'll also talk about the impression that Louisiana will be making for the second year in a row at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade with the celebration gator. We'll speak with the lieutenant governor about promoting Louisiana to a global audience there. But first... A recently settled lawsuit against the Sunbelt Conference, a college sports conference based in New Orleans, accused officials of using racist and misogynistic slurs and contributed to a hostile work environment. The new nonprofit newsroom Verite reported on the lawsuit, which was filed by a former employee. Last week, our news director, Patrick Madden, spoke with Verite reporter Michelle Liu, who covered the lawsuit and its implications.
1: Can you tell us about this lawsuit? It was filed in 2021 by Patrick Hairston, a black former employee who accused the conference of racial discrimination uh, after his 2020 firing. And as you reported in Verite, attorneys for Hairston confirmed that they reached a settlement agreement with the conference. So, Michelle, tell us about this lawsuit
2: sure so this is a lawsuit that was settled just this week between the sunbelt conference which is headquartered here in the city at the superdome and attorneys representing a black former employee of the conference his name is patrick harrison and this lawsuit was centered on claims of racial discrimination and breach of contract so what's really interesting about this lawsuit is there are some filings made by harrison's attorneys that paint a really troubling picture at the sunbelt offices these filings kind of point at what may have come out in trial had this case gone to trial, it was headed in that direction shortly before the settlement came through. And so you have former workers saying in depositions by the plaintiff's attorneys saying in sworn statements that black employees weren't treated equally to white ones, they were essentially sidelined from their own jobs, they were left out of decision making opportunities, given menial tasks, not given opportunities for professional development and advancement and on top of that there appears per one deposition in particular especially to be an alleged office culture where top officials these are white officials are regularly using or allowing the use of racist and misogynistic slurs there's frequent use of the n-word and other demeaning language as well
1: michelle can you tell us more about the plaintiff in this case patrick hairston
2: Sure, sure. So Hairston, the plaintiff in this case, was an associate commissioner and the chief compliance officer at the Sunbelt conference for about four years between 2016 and 2020. He'd worked for multiple universities before this. He'd worked for the NCAA at some point, and he was fired relatively early on in the pandemic, around April of 2020. And around that time, four other minority employees at the Sunbelt either get fired or quit. So Hairston sued Sunbelt about a year and a half later with The claims he's making on racial discrimination, breach of contract, but his lawyers say that a deputy commissioner named Kathy Keene, his supervisor, who was white, essentially iced him out of his own job, kept him out of the loop on work pertaining to his responsibilities, and gave preferential treatment to white employees over those who weren't white. They also point out that Sunbelt promptly hired a white woman to replace Hairston after he was fired, even though the conference had suggested that Hairston had been terminated, in part because there were some financial uncertainties relating to that point in time at the pandemic. And so Hairston, on his end, um, he says in his own deposition that he really struggled after he was terminated. He works in a fairly niche, specialized field. He was saying that there aren't very many positions on par with the one he had been working in before he was let go. At one point, he starts pulling really long shifts at an Amazon facility. He sustains a foot injury while he's working at a university at the same time.
1: Michelle, college football and college sports, uh, these are big institutions here in this region and also a a big business. So what do you think the main takeaways are from this lawsuit?
2: Sure. So what stood out to me was, you know, around the same time that the Sun Belt fires Hairston and these other employees of color, it's summer 2020, we have this massive uprising and protest movement against racism, against police brutality, and the Black Lives Matter movement really resonates on college campuses, right? And with the sports teams of these schools, especially given that researchers have found these deep underlying racial inequities among student athletes on these teams, And so at this time, the Sun Belt, along with other major college conferences, they put out this statement against racism, against discrimination, and in the following months, they build out this whole new racial equity initiative. It's called Be the Change. It involves the civil rights trail and involves voter registration drives. And so there's this deep contradiction between what the Sun Belt says it's publicly doing to support student athletes, many of whom are Black, especially if you look at a sport like football, which is quite big amongst its members, And what's alleged to be happening among the administrators, the officials who have these jobs because of the work that these student athletes do, right?
0: That's Patrick Madden speaking with Verite reporter Michelle Liu from WRKF in Baton Rouge and WWNO in New Orleans. You're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Adam Voss. Last July saw the launch of a new national mental health hotline number, 988. In Louisiana, this number replaced a 10-digit di- one and already calls have risen dramatically, both nationally and statewide. Here to tell us more about the 988 number, its effectiveness, and what it reveals is staff writer for the Science Picune Emily Woodruff. Emily, thanks for joining us today.
3: Yeah, thanks so much for having me.
0: So a recent study by the Kaiser Family Foundation saw a significant jump in calls since that hotline was launched. What exactly did that study find and what are the numbers like here in Louisiana?
3: So this study looked at calls in August 2021 compared to August 2022. So that's the first full month that 988 was active. And what they found um, was that there was nearly a 50% increase in calls in that month. Um, There were about 2000, almost 2900 um, in 2022, compared to a little bit uh, less than 2000 the year before. And, and that also um, was reflected nationally.
0: Do we have any insight as to whether we think this was an increase due to it being easier to call or, you know, public outreach and awareness?
3: Yeah, there was a lot of media awareness and um, articles coming out about 988. It's also, you know, as you said at the beginning, just really easy to remember. The old number was 10 digits and a 1-800 number. And I think people just find 988 a little more accessible.
0: Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about the transition to 988. Where did it come from, the the idea, the reasoning behind it?
3: So mental health advocates had been pushing for this kind of switch for a while. Um, The 1-800 number was also underfunded. Uh, There were often long wait times and dropped calls. And so in 2020, this all kind of came together with a bipartisan bill that was signed into law by President Trump. And then it was launched um, two years later with funds from the Biden administration's 2022 budget and the American Rescue Plan.
0: So in Louisiana, there are two call centers answering these 988 calls. They're they're local call centers. Can you tell us a little bit more about these two call centers, the geographic areas they cover, and and how they're responding to this dramatic increase in, in call volume?
3: Yeah, so uh, one is Violink, and that's located in New Orleans, and that covers Southeast Louisiana, and that's area codes 504, 225, and 985. Uh, The other is the Louisiana Association on Compulsive Gambling, and that's located in Bossier City, um, and they field calls in area codes 318 and 337. They cover North, Central, and Southwest Louisiana. Uh, Both of these centers, they've hired a lot more people to cover this rising demand. And awareness and and from what I can see in their numbers, they're able to keep up with it pretty well. Um, So about ninety one percent of the calls that these area codes make are actually answered by these two centers, rather than you know going to another center that that handles overflow.
0: Yeah, speaking of the the local people for the most part taking local calls from the nine eight eight hotline, uh, Louisiana's call increase tracks with the national uptick. Some of the calls are often Louisiana-specific, things we deal with here that maybe you don't see everywhere. Can you tell us a little bit more about the septic as it relates to uh, hurricanes, natural disasters, the cost of utilities as some of the triggers for people's stress and anxiety?
3: Yeah. So I spoke with one crisis counselor. She answers calls for New Orleans, but um, has also volunteered in Kentucky. And then, like I mentioned, sometimes there's overflow from other states. So um, they all probably have answered calls sometimes from other places. And she said the thing that people in Louisiana mention is really a lack of resources. So it's really basic things like, you know, people are looking for food, they're looking for ways to pay their electricity bills. And... You know, she mentioned in other places they might be able to find those resources a little bit more easily. They might be able to find a food bank more easily or um, find a grant that would help them or a nonprofit that would help them cover their bills. Um, But they were really frustrated with the lack of that in Louisiana. And then a big thing is Hurricane Ida, and that's people are waiting at this point over a year for repairs i mean we can all walk outside and see blue tarps from pretty much anywhere in the city so one thing she said they feel like help is never going to come um and that just that really uh broke my heart
0: Hmm. what other experiences are the people who are answering these hotlines having what are they seeing um how are they responding
3: so i you know well, the one eight hundred number was really branded as like a suicide and crisis hotline, and now nine eight eight is is more of a like a mental health hotline. So it could be anything from. Um, you know, a teenager, they talked a little bit about, um, especially new freshmen, like incoming college freshmen, or even kids who are transitioning to high school, just feeling really overwhelmed. So it could be someone who just doesn't really know who to turn to, um, to talk. It could also be someone who's, you know, let's say having a a panic attack and and they don't know who to call or how to get through that moment of crisis. Um, It is also sometimes, you know, people who are thinking of suicide or, or self-harm. And they're really at the end of their rope. Um, but they, you know, they said there is not a typical person. It's everyone from, you know, they said 10 to 11-year-olds to, you know, very elderly people who who feel really alone.
0: Hmm. Now, one of those call centers, the one in North Louisiana, it's run by the Louisiana Association of Compulsive Gambling, if I've got that correct, which mm-hmm. following the legalization of sports betting is seeing a lot more calls. Tell us a little bit more about how sports betting is impacting mental health.
3: Yeah, that was something I talked about briefly with the executive director. Um, So this center also is the uh, gambling hotline. They answer the gambling hotline calls. Um, And sports betting has been legal since January 22 in Louisiana, so not quite a full year. So this is Um, more of her observations and some data that she had, but we're gonna have to wait to really see the hard data on this. But what she said is um, that there's more overlap. So people who are calling for mental health reasons were also mentioning gambling and and people calling for gambling were mentioning more suicidal thoughts. Um, And she said what's changed really that that she noticed is the average age used to be um, in the 40s to 50s for the gambling hotline, and now it's much younger. It's in the 20s to 30s.
0: So those demographics have really changed of the people using the hotline, especially for gambling issues.
3: Yeah, and what she said was, well, it's just really easy to pull out your phone, and and that's something that that a younger generation is really comfortable with and kind of grew up with. And it's just right there, you know, it kind of follows you around.
0: Lastly. Can you walk us through the process of calling this hotline? You know, what it sounds like, what the experience might be for a, a caller?
3: Yeah. So, anyone can dial 988. The phones will be answered by crisis counselors who are trained in de escalation. So, they'll just talk you through, you know, whatever you're going through and get you to what they consider like a place of safety. And, You know, just depending on your issue, they might be on the phone with you for 10 minutes. They might be on the phone with you for two hours. Um, But what they are is really a bridge to something else. So I'm sure they get repeat callers and, you know, people who rely on them, but they're really there to connect you with other resources. And then they will always ask everyone if they want a follow up call. Maybe that's in a couple hours, you know, if someone is having. Um, suicidal thoughts. They want to check back in on them and just just know that someone is going to call you back, or it might be the next day or or in a couple of days. It just depends.
0: It sounds like the people who answer this hotline are heavily trained in a wide variety of things. Everything from being in a crisis to being able to find all sorts of resources.
3: Yeah, you know they mentioned that it it takes really just a really empathetic person who who really cares to talk people through this. And the the centers provide the training in this de-escalation and crisis counseling.
0: We've been speaking with Emily Woodruff, a staff writer with the Times-Picune. Thanks for being here on Louisiana Considered.
3: Yeah, thank you, Adam.
0: I'm Adam Voss. You're listening to Louisiana Considered. This is Louisiana Considered. Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade fans tomorrow will be treated to a distinctly Louisiana site again this year as the 60-foot-long Celebration Gator makes its second appearance, promoting the state to holiday audiences around the world. And to speak with us about Louisiana's representation in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, we have Lieutenant Governor Billy Nungesser. Welcome to Louisiana Considered.
4: Glad to be with you. Happy uh, Thanksgiving to you and your family.
0: Happy Thanksgiving to you. Thank you. So a 60-foot-long gator, what are some of the unique things about this float?
4: Well, when we first got this float put in the parade, they came to us with a float. and We said we're not putting our name on that. we make floats in Louisiana, we need a wow factor. So we went back and forth over a couple months and we ended up with the longest float ever to be in the parade. That 60 foot gator crawling down the streets of New York, wagging its tail, blowing confetti out of its mouth with great Louisiana entertainment and and really stole the show last year. We expect to do the same again this year with that unique float.
0: So whose project was this? Was it the Department of Tourism?
4: Well, coming out of COVID and our planning, we were looking for things uniquely that nobody else is doing. And um, and I said, well, we do parades better than anywhere. Where can we get exposure around the world in a parade? And, and Macy's was the first one that we thought of. So we made a presentation to them, went back and forth to get that wild fact afloat. We got such a return on investment, we flew out to try to get a float in the Rose Parade. Uh, last year, they were only adding three, and they've never had a state before. So it was a kind of an uphill battle, but we were successful there. We just know we wanted something to set Louisiana apart. Um, most of the floats in that parade are corporations um, spent a lot of money. And we wanted something that we could justify and get a return on our investment. But you had something that was unique. And leading up to the parade all week, if you're in Times Square, you'll see an alligator eye on every screen. And the whole crowd stops and looks up. That alligator eye looks around and zooms out and says, get ready, New York, Louisiana's coming. so we kind of steal the show for the whole week leading up to the parade. And the Macy's float reached 1.48 billion people. And we saw uh, activity to our website go up. People looking to book trips to Louisiana incredibly after Macy's and the Rose Parade both. So we're sure uh, Thanksgiving Day, people seeing this float, hearing about Mardi Gras, hearing about Louisiana, listening to Tribone Shorty, we're sure we're going to see the same results this year.
0: You mentioned the uptick to the tourism website the last time the float made an appearance. So uh, it sounds like you're seeing a return on investment.
4: Absolutely. We saw our best Mardi Gras ever all over Louisiana. And we saw international visitors going to places like Shreveport, Natchitoches, Morgan City, Monroe, Lafayette, Baton Rouge. Family-friendly, affordable Mardi Gras in every corner of the state. We've been promoting Mardi Gras all over Louisiana, and we've seen great success. And these floats and parades have just added to that exposure.
0: Hmm. So tell us, what does it take to get an entry into the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade? Uh, not just anybody can get into the
4: parade. No, we made a presentation. We also talked about everybody had been through COVID, but Louisiana got hit with the two worst hurricanes ever hit the United States. One of them, hitting our coast as a category four and leaving North Louisiana still as a hurricane. So with all else going on with COVID coming out of COVID, uh, we got hit with a double whammy and we could use a little shot in the arm, no pun intended, uh, to pick up our spirits in Louisiana. And I think that presentation in person that we made to both of these groups uh, sold them that we would, uh, we were passionate about it. Uh, we really thought we deserved a shot. And like I said, uh, we were successful in both parades.
0: We're speaking with Lieutenant Governor Billy Nungesser. We're speaking about Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade and Louisiana's representation in the parade, particularly the celebration gator afloat that we'll see go down the street tomorrow in New York. And, of course, New Orleans' own Trombone Shorty. Tell us a little bit about Trombone Shorty's appearance.
4: Well, you know, we always make sure we recommend and demand a Louisiana ambassador. Last year, John Batiste stole the show. And you've got to have a musician that gets people excited. His music and and the way he performs with such passion and love for Louisiana will surely stir up the crowd. and and really get the TV audience excited about all we have to offer here in Louisiana. And we know, once again, uh, he will steal the show with his performance.
0: Lieutenant Governor, you talk about introducing a Louisiana-style Thanksgiving to that Thanksgiving Day audience around the world. Tell us, what is a Louisiana-style Thanksgiving like to you?
4: Well, I think it is. It's family, friends. It's being thankful for all we have in Louisiana. Um, As you know, the country's been through so much with COVID. We had these hurricanes. um, But the great thing about Louisiana, we always reach out and help our neighbors in time of need. And, And surely Thanksgiving is a good time to reach out and help someone that isn't as fortunate as you. So I think family and friends, and nobody does it better than Louisianans in inviting their family and friends to share a good meal and also to help their neighbor. And I think this time of year, we can be very thankful for what we have and be thankful that we have Louisianans with such big hearts that have a love and passion for helping their neighbor.
0: Will the Celebration Gator be making any more appearances in the future? Any other parades?
4: Well, no, this float is owned by Macy's. So we have a three-year contract, so it'll be back in New York. They disassemble it and store it till next year. As when the Rose Parade, every year it's a different float. So this year we start from scratch. We will be building a riverboat, and we will decorate it with tens of thousands of roses uh, within three days the week after Christmas for that January 2nd appearance in the Tournament for Roses Parade. So back-to-back great appearances for Louisiana, and it really will kick off the new year with a bang and get people from all over the world excited about visiting little old Louisiana.
0: And finally, Lieutenant Governor, where will you be watching the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade from tomorrow morning?
4: Well, we'll be having family and friends over. I'll be watching it from home this year. We were in New York last year, but we will be out the week after Christmas to decorate the Rose Parade. It's done with all volunteers, but, uh, but I'll be watching, being thankful from home this Thanksgiving, watching it on TV with the tens of millions of people from around the world.
0: Lieutenant Governor Billy Nungesser, the Celebration Gator, making its second appearance in the Thanksgiving Day Parade, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade on Thanksgiving Day. Thanks for your time today.
4: Thank you, and happy Thanksgiving to you and all of Louisiana.
0: And from WRKF in Baton Rouge and WWNO in New Orleans, this has been Louisiana Considered. I'm Adam Voss. Thanks again to our guests, Michelle Liu, a reporter for Verite, and our news director, Patrick Madden, who spoke with her. Emily Woodruff, staff writer for the New Orleans Advocate Times-Picune. And, of course, Louisiana's Lieutenant Governor, Billy Nungesser. Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber, and our digital editor is Caitlin Umholtz. Our engineers are Garrett Pittman, Thomas Walsh, and Stay's engineer Aubrey Purcell. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday, 12 o'clock noon and 7.30 p.m. It's also available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. We're taking a break tomorrow for Thanksgiving, but we'll be back Friday. Thanks for listening. I'm Adam Voss.
2: major support for Louisiana considered provided by Rouse's Markets a Louisiana shopping experience
4: with additional support from Tulane School of Public Health This is